You're listening to The Yarn, a podcast for the Australian wool industry. This episode, we are talking the wool market. The wool market in China, Japan, India, all our Eastern Hemisphere markets. But we'll start on the home turf in Australia with our trusty trade consultant, Scott Carmody. Scotty, most recent news I've heard is that the Chinese government have lifted the ban on wool imports from South Africa. How's that affecting the wool prices in Australia? In, in the interim, we've, we've had a bit of a retraction in the price due to, uh, in part, the, uh, re, uh, the removal of that ban. Now, that's saying that very easily, the removal of the ban. It's not quite so simple, but the ban has been lifted, but there are caveats to that. So the wool will probably have to be delayed in store, fumigation, temperature controlled and, and the like, just to ensure that that FMD potential issue doesn't get uh, carried through to China, which is why they've um, placed that ban two months ago anyway. Um, so obviously there was a build-up of stocks over there. The Chinese buyers continued to buy. So all of a sudden when they lifted, and, and apparently it was quite a surprise to all parties, and so immediately they were allowed to then basically affect the shipment of all their stocks. So you know, some companies over there had six to 8,000 bales in stock. So you know, that, that, that implicates back on the market. If, if that sudden withdrawal allows for the future two, three, four weeks, whatever that quantity uh, will suffice for that mill, that will enable that mill to sort of take the take the pressure off their supply concerns, which obviously were coming to Australia and supporting the Australian market. So, yeah, a little bit of effect, but not entirely so. And so what other implications do we have on the market, if any? Yeah, well, the, the, probably the major one at the moment, Ellie, is the fact that, you know, the, the um, well, they call it the tariff war, the trade war, um, trying to get the balance of payments right between, you know, the USA and China, whatever way you like to describe it, that has re-emerged as a big issue between the two countries. Now, as far as textiles go, we're not caught up sort of directly in that as wool being part of that textile chain. Uh, where it has hurt us, though, is, is is in the confidence level. So business confidence at the moment in China is low. Business confidence around the globe is low. Um, there, six months ago, we reported on the Milano Unica trade fairs over in Europe. They were, they were pretty down in the mouth over there. They were seeing reductions in demand of, of anywhere between 5 and 20% for the wool products. So that's now flown on into China directly or indirectly as a result of these tariffs. It's not the confidence about. And, and you know, with, it, with a free-traded commodity such what you know wool operates in that environment, we're not immune to it, uh, getting hit by that confidence. The confidence is low. Um, the prices are pretty, yeah, they're pretty good still. They're re- they're relatively high under the percentile bands. You know, if we if we look back over the last five years, they're all probably in the nineties, apart from one or two types. But you know, the previous decade of that, um, yeah, they're all still at the hundred percentile band in comparison. So we're still seeing pretty reasonable levels at around that nineteen hundred cent clean mark. Um, as an industry player, if you said to me you know, five, six years ago that the indicator would be at 1900 and people were passing wool in, I'd, I, would, <laughs> I would probably disagree and said, no, that, that can't be right. But that, that's what we're seeing. Uh, things change. Um, commodity prices are all up around the world. Was up. Now we're all going down. And that's just a, a factor that we, we have to do. We have to manage um, and, and adjust to those sort of new thinking. Personally, I'm, I'm thinking that this is probably uh, an interim phase. I, I think that, yes, there, there'll probably be some uh, further we- weakening, and, and that's you know, highly likely over the next couple of weeks. But I think the long-term out- outlook, you know, particularly for Australian wool, is good. We've got a very short supply coming. You know, we, we know, you know the effects of this drought's dreadful. Um, it's, it's ongoing. Uh, I 
you know, few areas can say, yeah, we've, we're, we've now got a winter. You know, one winter, you know, a couple of months, that's not drought breaking. So, you know, we, we need follow up and we need it desperately. A lot of the areas now are probably too, you know, the temperature is probably a little bit low now for any significant growth. So, um, yeah, yeah there's a real supply demand driven yeah. market going on at the moment. Due yeah. To well, I think we've, up until probably six or 12 months ago, it was totally demand driven. Yeah, so I, I I I believe that you know demand for the fibre was was you know probably eighteen months ago at its peak and it's just taken us the, you know the eighteen months since for it to come off its peak um, and that's probably representative of our prices too although prices tend to stay in the market three to four to five months after peak peak supply uh, or demand period so we're looking at now probably an eighteen month weakening of that price. Uh, of the demand, sorry, um, the price decay is probably only going going on for the last probably since August last year. So we're probably only looking at nine or ten months where that price is slowly, slowly decaying. Um, but we're talking about you know from you know record levels of twenty one sixteen back in August two thousand eighteen to to what we are today at eighteen ninety three. You know, and eighteen ninety three, you know, that sees all merino fleece wools basically valued at over twenty two hundred cents clean. And and in my books, that that's pretty good money. Obviously, the averages come down with your carding market deteriorating rapidly, and um, you know for those growers who happen to run a you know, couple of old ewes or something to prime, well, they they've done sensationally well on those first cross ewes too. Their their fleeces are now thirty five, forty dollar fleeces, and you know if they're if they're you know marking a few lambs off them, I think I think it's still a very good enterprise. Being. Um, we hear from John Roberts this episode about the Chinese and Indian markets overseas. What are your thoughts on those overseas markets and how we're placed in our relationships with them? Well, my experience is that in India has been the, the little train that could. It's, it's always going to do something, but it's, it's always going to be there. And um, we love you know, selling wool to India and we, we, we love them as a competitor in the market to China. But you know, when, when the price is high, they'll buy 5 or 6% of our clip. When, when you know, prices are low, you know, they're pretty good at judging the Indians and, and they, they'll lift their percentages up to 10 and 12% of our clip. So they're a pretty good judge of a cheap market, in my opinion. That's you know, looking at you know, 30 years. You know, it's, not, it's not the be-all, uh, be end-all. But the fact that the Chinese are still supporting our market, they are, they are the market leverage. They are, they are they've lifted from seventy one percent on the export figures at Christmas. They're now back to seventy three, and I wouldn't be surprised at all, Ellie, that by the end of this season they're going to hit seventy six percent. They're of, a consumption of giant. <laughs> they are a giant, and yep. and obviously they they're hurting a little bit with all you know the the um, tariffs and things being opposed. You know, obviously they got a little bit of pain to get through, but. One thing is for sure, you know, anyone invested in owning machines in that country, yeah, they don't want to see them laying idle. If 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 they've got idle machines, that means there's absolutely zero chance of making a profit. So, at some stage, uh, a decaying market will be arrested purely on the back of supply, and I think that's coming sooner rather than later, as we're going into a very low supply you know, part of our season. And South Africa's only got two sales left before. Okay, they've just come back after the foot and mouth, but. Yeah. Um, They've only got two sales less left before the middle middle of August, and so they go into a two two month recess. So supply is going to tighten up significantly, and I think that you know, factories that have waited, 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 it'll yeah they might be advantaged by a couple of you know cents discount at the moment, but I think they um, must now think at getting back in the market and and securing some of that supply. So with that um, supply down, not just you know, in Australia but obviously South Africa across the globe. 
what's your forecast for the next month or start with week? Well, ne- next week, jeez, uh, <laughs> uh, if I knew these accurate answers, I'd be retired well and truly. Um, I, I think we, we will have a couple of weeks of softness. I think the market has to adjust downwards and it has to adjust down to where we see some of the buyers actually pulling the money out of their pockets and saying, yep, I'm comfortable at these levels. We sort of haven't seen that since probably you know, six to 12 months ago. You know, the market did reduce a dollar a kilo um, back in, um, I think it was early October, and I think it took three weeks to sort of stop falling. So it, it dropped the dollar, then kept on falling you know, 20, 30 cents a week. Uh, and then it took three months to recover back to the original levels. I think if we sort of look at that as a bit of a, uh, a guide, then sort of say, well, things are probably not as good as they were back in October. So if we say maybe the market is going to drift for three, four, five weeks this time and maybe take four, five, six months to recover back the prices, given that the demand and the worldwide situation garners that uh, confidence back into the trade. So at the moment, I would, I would just come back to that. The factor is that lacking at the moment is, is confidence, uh, confidence that people can buy the raw product at today's price and sell it, you know, two months down the track out of profit. They're just not confident enough in the global economic situation at the moment to do that. And, you know, we're, we're determined by far greater signals than just what happens at Melbourne or, you know, Unora or Fremantle. So we have to be judged by, you know, global economic uh, factors rather than just what we've seen in front of us. Scotty, thank you for your update today and hopefully next time. See a few cents higher than yeah. currently. Yeah, we can only hope, Ellie. We're with John Roberts, who's the Australian Wool Innovation Manager for the Eastern Hemisphere. Basically, John looks after AWI or Woolmark in Asia, that is China, Japan, Korea, and India as well. Um, John, you've just come back from a trip to Asia. How are things over there? Things are good. Things are really good. Uh, I think uh, it's fair to say that Natural fibres, in particular wool, are, are very much uh, on people's radars, um, and it's you know the, the amount of manufacturing that's going on in Asia, particularly countries like Korea and Vietnam uh, and China, of course, uh, means that a lot of people are asking about wool. How do they access it? Where do they get it? And want to know more about it, which is a great thing. I mean, eighty percent of uh, Australian raw wool goes to China, and half of that is consumed in China. It's uh, we're very heavily reliant on that country, uh, but we hear it's slowing down economically. What did you hear about that when you were over there? Oh, look, I think it's... I wouldn't say this trip was specifically, you know, it was more noticeable, but I, what, what it means is when, when things aren't as, as buoyant, it is harder to tell the story. I mean, people people can get a bit more focused on on on, um, on things like providence and traceability when they've got more money or they've got more... They're more optimistic about the future. They can become more altruistic, but... When things are less buoyant, it's uh, it's kind of the choices are, are more limited. So being able to tell wool's story and the benefits of it becomes a little bit harder. But that said, I think if you look at the if you talk to our manufacturers and our, our, the, the top makers in China who buy our wool, the first buyers of our wool, they, they still they still need it. They've still got to keep those machines churning, and they're still hungry for it. So it hasn't had a huge impact yet. So to that to that point, uh, the wool clippers constantly being uh, revised down during the drought and we're sort of closing in on 300 million kilos now. Is there a, is there a danger that uh, we're not producing a critical mass to keep that machinery in China rolling? I think, I think there is, absolutely. Probably the frustrating thing uh, in, in my role or in, in our role is 
people never believe you or people, people can't comprehend uh, what's happening, particularly when you talk about the drought in Australia. I don't think they have any idea just how um, dramatic it is and, and the impact it's going to have on supply. So, yeah, it, it could very well mean that a number of these machines, uh, uh, these factories, which are, which are consuming tens of thousands of bales of wool a day, are going to suddenly get the news that they just can't get it. So that, that, that could be quite impactful. Now, China is obviously an important country, but uh, Japan also is uh, somewhere where you've been fairly recently and met with some big retailers there. Yeah, I, look, I think Japan's, Japan's been a wonderful supporter of Australian wool for more than 50 years. Um, they, they know what wool is, they, they appreciate that it's, you know, it's, it's, it, it represents the highest of fashion, the highest of quality. We spent a, probably a three or four year period uh, trying to revamp wool's position, um, trying to make it uh, perhaps appear a little less conservative, a little more contemporary. We've done a lot of repositioning there, and I think now people are looking at wool uh, as, as, a, as a functional fibre, as a sports fibre. So it's good. I mean, they, the, quality, the recognition of the quality is still there, but they're also recognising it for other attributes like functionality and sports and things like that. What's the economy doing in Japan? Because it's been in the doldrums for a, a, sort of a couple of decades, it seems. Oh, look, it's a bit of, bit of a leading light at the moment. I think it's, uh, you know, its tourism numbers are, are phenomenal. Um, it's, uh, they, I think they're expecting by 2030 they're going to have 60 million tourists a year in that market so they're, that, that's uh, injecting a lot of um, optimism back into the economy. Um, their ageing population is quite serious which basically means they're declining population and for the first time ever they're actually starting to talk about immigration uh, which is something they've had a zero, um, uh, a zero policy of zero. Yeah policy of zero on immigration so it's you know the, 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 it's not without its challenges but right now it's pretty good it's pretty good. Now, India is another sleeping giant uh, that is under your control. What's happening in India in terms of wool? Uh, people don't really think of India, I'd imagine, in terms of a wool-consuming country. They're our second biggest buyer of wool. Um, <clears throat> that said, they only take 8%, or might even be less now, um, which just tells you how big China is. But, again, they also have a good understanding of wool. They, they, they certainly recognise it for men's, men's and women's suiting, for wedding for formal wear. But... Obviously, the, the growing middle middle income bracket there is is you know, growing at a rate that's probably outstripping China. So it's we've done a lot of work in the last five years about trying to change people's perceptions on wool there and let people understand that it is really good in a humid climate for its odor management and its moisture management. So we've done a lot of that. We've repositioned wool quite quite effectively there. We've done some great sports programs with the Bangalore Royal Challengers IPL team and things like that. So. It's very much on people's radars. Uh, what we want to do in the next couple of years is actually start using that manufacturing hub, which is now very competitive compared to China, and start commercialising a lot of new innovations <coughs> in that market. So, look, India's India's great. It's it, uh, it, it, there's a, it, I think we're going to probably re, re shift our focus a bit away from marketing. We've done a lot of work there and start focusing on the great manufacturing hub that it is. So, John, you know a lot of wool growers. Uh, you, you worked in China for many years uh, in, in a wool aspect. What would you have to say to someone who was maybe sitting on a tractor putting in a crop, uh, out feeding sheep, um, people that are looking at um, planning getting out of drought and planning ahead in terms of the optimism around wool in China and these big markets? Uh, look, I'd be... I mean, the people who have stuck with it, keep doing it uh, if, you, if you're having thoughts about getting back into sheep I'd be saying absolutely go there because um, 
consumer priorities are shifting in a, in a major way. Uh, you know, and we've all heard about the shift away from fast fashion, away from synthetics uh, to sustainable fibres, and wool has got the best story to tell out of all those fibres. Uh, you know, compared to cashmere or cotton, it's, it's, it's leaps and bounds ahead. So I think the future for wool is really, really exciting. I think, you know, we've, it's got to, we've got to take a bit of a breath and you know, we can't expect this market to keep going up a dollar every week, and I don't think the supply chain can absorb that. But longer term, I think long-term growth should be expected. So... Yeah, absolutely. I'd be, I'd be encouraging people to entertain that idea very strongly. And that movement away from fast fashion um, and and plastics to renewable fibres, recycled fibres, even is that uh, is that happening in China or is it uh, not really there yet? Uh, if you'd asked me that question uh, eighteen months ago, I would have said it's not really there yet. But I'd say now, yes, it is. Uh, there's an amazing amount of brands. Uh, uh, and social media influencers and, and, and key opinion leaders who are, are all advocating uh, this gravitation away from, from fast fashion. Brands are now certainly wanting to tell a story of sustainability. Uh, the Woolmark logo and the Woolmark brand certainly sits well within that sweet spot. So, no, I think it's, it's, on the, it's certainly uh, well and truly on their radar in China now. Well, John, thanks for joining us again. You've got a very important role um, at AWI, and it's good to hear from the coalface from overseas. Um, thanks for the work you do, and thanks for having a yarn with us. Thanks, Marius. Great to talk. That's the latest on market intel for you all. If you're interested in weekly wool market reviews, you can head to wool.com and search weekly price reports for more information. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and tell your mates about it. You can send your feedback through to the yarn at wool.com. We're on Instagram at Beyond the Bale and Twitter at Wool Innovation. Thanks again to Ben Madwick for editing. I'm Ellie Bigwood and I look forward to our next yarn. <laughs>